Welcome to the Exam Room Rambles podcast, where veterinarian Dr. Tracy Westergaard shares the same tips, opinions, and explanations she gives you in the exam room, only without barking dogs or hissing cats. We're really glad you're here. Enjoy the show. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode one of Exam Room Rambles podcast. I am just going to jump right in. I have no script. I have a couple notes, and we're going to wing it and see what we get. I have chosen one of my favorite topics, food. Now, I'm not going to talk about dog food because that would be opening a big can of worms. There's so many different dog foods out there and an awful lot of controversy over everything from raw to grain-free to the big name dog foods and cat foods versus the small boutique brands. So I'm going to avoid that for probably several podcasts. But we're going to talk about people food. That is something that I talk about every single day in the exam room. Now, some of these things you guys are going to know. And if you don't know, shame on you. I think if I asked any random person, what's one food that you can't feed your dog? They're going to say chocolate. And you know what? They're right. But how bad is chocolate? What does it do? Do you need to call the vet and panic if your dog eats a chocolate chip cookie? Probably not. But I'm going to give you more of that information in this podcast. So maybe some of you are wondering if I feed my dogs people food. And I'm not going to lie. My dogs get people food every single day, and they always have. I'm one of those people that I can't say no. So they get the last bite of almost everything I'm eating in front of them. So if I'm eating a piece of string cheese, they just get a tiny little bit at the end. If I'm eating a cookie, they get that last bite. So let's go over the list of things I do not share with my dogs. The first one on my list is nuts, and I eat a lot of nuts. Nuts are supposed to be healthy for you almonds, macadamia nuts, cashews, peanuts, though I don't know if peanuts really are in the same category as nuts. Anyway, I avoid all nuts. Almonds aren't technically toxic to dogs, but they're probably not good for them. Macadamia nuts, however, are quite toxic to dogs. I think it's best just to avoid all nuts. You don't want your dog to have a taste for nuts, so we avoid them. Now, peanuts... I don't even think they're really nuts. I'm going to probably have to Google this, but they live like under the ground in little pods. They're more like a potato, I think. God, please don't quote me on that. Edit. It's a legume, which is not a potato. It's more like alfalfa. Peanuts and peanut butter is an exception to the nut rule. It is okay to use peanut butter. In fact, we use peanut butter in the clinic all the time to distract dogs while we're giving shots to hide pills in. Um, They even make these new kind of lick mats and bones where you smear peanut butter on the outside and the dog will sit there and lick that as a distraction from like, say, licking their wounds or if they have allergies, licking their allergy itchy spots. They're pretty cool. What you need to watch very closely with peanut butter is that there's nothing extra added to it. Just plain peanut butter. No artificial sweeteners, no sugar-free peanut butter, no sugar added, just your natural plain peanut butter. So flip the jar around, look at the label before you give it to your dog. The next thing on my list that I will not give my dogs, and I won't eat them myself because I think they're gross, is onions. Yes, onions are toxic. 
Cooked onions, raw onions, you need to avoid them. You also need to look for onions being hidden in sneaky spots. We actually sometimes recommend baby food. Um, it's syringable. A lot of cats like it. I actually am treating some parvo puppies at home, and I'm needing to force feed and syringe feed food, and I'm using baby food. But we made sure that there was no onion or onion powder in the baby food. In that same family, garlic. Garlic's another one you need to watch for. A lot of us like to season with garlic, and I do like garlic. But dogs shouldn't have it either. If you're wondering what onions do to dogs, is it actually causes their red blood cells to lice, and they can become anemic. And it can mimic like an autoimmune hemolytic anemia, something that we see pretty regularly in practice. Those dogs present pale, sometimes breathing hard, weak, lack of energy, and then your generic um, vomiting diarrhea can come with that. Another veggie that you want to avoid that goes really good with garlic is tomato. Technically, tomatoes aren't toxic to dogs, but green tomatoes are. I don't want you to get confused or your dog to get confused or develop a taste for tomatoes. So I would avoid them altogether. Instead, you can just slice them, put olive oil on them, salt and pepper, fresh mozzarella, and eat them yourself. Avocados should be avoided in dogs. Citrus. This is one where the actual fruit, the meat of the orange, tangerine, lemon is not toxic, but the rind or the oils in the rind, the citrus oil is toxic. Avoid. Avoid citrus. Same thing. I, I don't want to get super specific about what part of the food you should feed, but if any part of that is toxic or some food that's very closely related to it is toxic, just don't go there. Just don't even bother. There's so many other healthy things that you can give your pet. Another big one that everybody should know, and I have got a fridge full of them right now, is grapes. In fact, the last time I was on call, I had a client called concerned because her 20-pound dog ate five of those large jumbo grapes. And I said, ah, we don't want to risk it. You need to make him puke. Grapes are toxic. So are raisins. Raisins are just shriveled up little grape. They cause kidney disease, um, renal failure. Please just don't give them to your dog. Cherries and other pit fruits. Um, peaches, plums. Now technically, again, the fruit part of that is not toxic, but the pits can be toxic. There's some kind of chemical that I don't know how to pronounce. I don't have it memorized, but it can be toxic to dogs. The next two aren't really foods that you would feed specifically for your dog, but they are common toxics that, toxins that we hear about when people call on emergency. One of them is xylitol. Xylitol is an artificial sweetener. It's in gum. We have had some seriously sick dogs that got into a sugar-free gum that's flavored with xylitol, and that causes hypoglycemia where their blood sugar gets really, really low. They get weak, they go into a coma, they have seizures, and they can die. Just don't even buy sugar-free xylitol gum. There's gum that's flavored with sorbitol and sucralose and other flavors. Just no xylitol in your house. You really have to watch that one on any kind of sugar-free or reduced-calorie foods, whether it's yogurt, gum, cookies, candies, no xylitol. So since your dog can't have artificial sweeteners, at least in my book, what about sugar, like the real sweetener? 
I'm going to say no on that one too. Sugar itself is not technically toxic, but we do see dogs develop upset bellies from it. We call it garbage gut. It's probably more technically a bacterial overgrowth. And we see it when dogs jump up on the counter, counter surfing, pull down a pan of brownies, they get into a bag of candy, and people usually call and say, hey, is this chocolate toxic? We run the math and we say, no, you're in a safe level for chocolate, but your dog's had way too much sugar and you should be on the lookout for vomiting and diarrhea caused from too much sugar and too much carbohydrate affecting the bacteria in their gut. Booze and pot also make my do not feed to your dog list. We have had a couple instances where dogs have gotten into pot brownies and gotten very, very sick. It doesn't take more than a bite for a little dog. Um, they have pretty, some pretty severe signs. Booze, that should be an obvious one also. Most dogs don't have a taste for alcohol, so you don't have to worry about it. But if you have a fruity drink down by your chair at the lake on a summer's evening, um, be smart about that one also. And let's move to the things that I do think you can safely share with your dog. These are the things that I share with my dog frequently. This is when they get the last bite of whatever I'm eating. So these are my favorites. The first one is bread and toast. My dogs eat an awful lot of bread crust that I don't want. Now, am I getting, giving them half of my toast? No, they're getting a little bite. Calories in, calories out apply to dogs just like it does to people. So half of a piece of buttered toast is roughly 100, 150 calories that doesn't seem like much for you, but when you have a 10-pound rat terrier, 150 calories is a huge chunk of their daily requirements. And if you're doing that every day, you're going to have a fat rat terrier just like me. Cheese. My dogs love cheese. What dogs don't love cheese? Cheese is one we really like to use to hide pills in. Um, dogs get smart about that, but sliced cheese is great for hiding pills. Eggs. I am a fan of eggs. My dogs eat eggs frequently, usually because I drop them on the garage floor when I'm bringing them in from the hen house, and they fight over who gets to clean it up. Now, we probably shouldn't be feeding our dogs raw eggs. We should cook them, but if you don't, and you know where the eggs came from, a nice, healthy chicken, then fine. Let them have the egg, raw or not. I prefer scrambled eggs, and that's one of the first things that I will tell a client with a dog who doesn't want to eat is go ahead and offer them a scrambled egg. As far as meats, I'm comfortable with any meat. Beef, chicken, lamb, fish. The thing about meat is you actually want the dog to have the meat, not the fat. So if you're not going to eat the fat off your ham, your dog shouldn't eat the fat off your ham either. If there's nasty gristle on the side of your steak, don't feed it to your dog. Feed them the healthy parts of the meat that you would eat yourself. Now, as far as ground beef and pork, we do need to be a little careful about the fat. Several breeds of dogs are prone to a condition called pancreatitis, and that's kind of beyond the scope of this people food episode, but we do need to be cautious that our dogs don't get a large helping of fat in one sitting, especially if they are a schnauzer or a pug or a breed predisposed to pancreatitis, or have had a previous episode with that. For example, we recommend hamburger and rice 
commonly as a first meal after an episode of a colitis, after periods of anorexia from different conditions. Hamburger and rice is so digestible. Dogs usually really like it, and it's easy to make. Most people have ground beef and rice in their cupboard refrigerator. That recipe is two parts cooked rice, and I actually prefer white rice over brown rice. It's a little more digestible to one part cooked beef with the grease rinsed off. And yes, you can substitute chicken for that. Peanut butter and peanuts. My dogs do get occasional peanut butter, but I love it so much I usually don't like to share. But if I need to get a pill in them, I will jump to the peanut butter. Popcorn, that's one that my dogs usually get a little bit of popcorn on movie night when we're watching TV. Rice, yogurt, just make sure that yogurt is plain white yogurt. No flavoring, no fruit on the bottom, definitely no fake sugar. As far as fruits, the best fruit, in my opinion, for dogs is apples. They can have blueberries, they can have melon, they can have bananas, but dogs seem to like that kind of crisp apple, just like they like baby carrots. Carrots, we hear that all the time. Dogs love baby carrots, just like people Peas, green beans, pumpkin. Pumpkin is one that we recommend frequently to help with stool. It has a lot of healthy fiber in it, a lot of healthy prebiotic. Broccoli and asparagus, I'm a little less sure of those. I've never really given my dogs broccoli. I don't know many people that have. I've never had one call on emergency and be like, my dog just ate a heck of a lot of broccoli and it's blowing up like a wood tick with gas. But theoretically, I think it could happen. So broccoli sparingly. In my research, I came across asparagus as something to avoid, but they couldn't really tell me why. And I do know that my dog Maggie, who is a little rat terrier, loves to eat asparagus straight out of the garden. When the asparagus is about two inches out of the dirt, you know, like it hopefully will be in a couple weeks, she will come and bite that tip off, which is, of course, the best part of the asparagus. And when I first got her, and my kids were pretty young then, I accused my children of picking off all the asparagus. Like, come on, guys, you gotta let that grow up. You gotta share it with mom and dad. Well, it turns out it was the dog that was eating all the tips of the asparagus. So all along, I've been saying dog, but really all of this applies to cats too. Cats like meat. You know, cats are strict carnivores, though some cats will eat bread, and my cat Hisser loves buttered bread. Most cats aren't going to beg for bread. They will maybe eat chicken, beef, fish, eggs, cooked grains. Don't ever do any raw grains for cats and dogs. The big thing with cats, and actually this applies to dogs too, is avoid salty food. Cats, I believe, are just walking around subclinically dehydrated, just waiting to have problems related to that. And if we give them too much salt in the form of salted meat, deli meat, sausage, brats, I think we could exacerbate problems down the road. And really that applies to dogs too. Avoid the deli meats. They have nitrates in them, they have salts in them, and I don't think that's good for dogs or cats. Now how about cats and dairy? Technically, adult animals do not have the ability to digest dairy, though some animals we know... (laughs) ice cream. My dogs lick the bowl. They eat cheese. They don't blow up. They don't get terrible farts. But really, all dairy and all adult animals, dogs or cats, should be avoided. Just a little sip here and there. 
Now, if you are the type of person that wants to give your cat a little bit of milk, especially if you want to hydrate them more, don't give them straight milk. Dilute it. You can put a tablespoon of milk in a cup of water and they can drink what they want of that. If you're wanting to encourage your pet to drink more, you could try low-sodium beef broth, low-sodium chicken broth, any kind of bone broth. Just be conscious of the sodium content. Also, tuna juice is usually popular with the cats. Not the oil, not tuna in oil, actual tuna in low-sodium water. Pumpkin or sweet potato are two vegetables that we encourage cats to take of all the different vegetables. The reason is that same with dogs, it's got a lot of beneficial fiber and prebiotic. And since constipation in cats can be a problem, that is one way that we can soften those stools. So the last thing that I didn't talk about that I mentioned I would at the beginning of the show was chocolate. There are different levels of chocolate. You all know this. We have a milk chocolate, we have a semi-sweet, semi-dark chocolate, and we have dark chocolate baking chocolate. And hopefully you guys realize that milk chocolate doesn't have a lot of cocoa or chocolate in it. Where baking chocolate is 100% chocolate. Baking chocolate is bitter. It's not very sweet. Most dogs aren't going to purposely eat it unless it's that chow hound lab that will eat anything. But it is toxic. So the good news is there are several different calculators online. You just have to Google chocolate toxicity calculator. And there are several sites where you punch in the weight of your dog, what type of chocolate they ate, like what percent chocolate, was it milk chocolate, dark chocolate, 85% cocoa, super dark chocolate, and how many ounces they ate. And it will tell you what to expect if you are not in toxic levels, if you're in potentially toxic levels, or if you are in toxic levels, call a vet. Your veterinarian is going to take a, a history. They're going to find out how much they ate, when they ate it, and then they're going to make a recommendation to you on whether or not they want you to bring your dog into them right away to induce vomiting or whether they think it's safe for you to induce vomiting at home with either salt or peroxide. And if it's beyond the window to induce vomiting, they're probably going to want to see you for some baseline blood work and possibly some IV fluids. There is no antidote to chocolate toxicity, but there are definitely things that we can manage them with as far as helping the kidneys and slowing the absorption down. The active ingredient in coffee and chocolate, theobromine, can actually be reabsorbed in the bladder and recirculated through the system. So it's the kidney's job to get rid of this toxin. It's a diuretic, essentially. So one of the things we do is really want to flush, flush, flush the body with fluids, and we want to encourage that dog to pee even more so it can't resorb the theobromine. The other thing that theobromine does is it causes CNS excitement. It causes changes in the vasculature with the blood pressure with the heart. And these dogs, if they get enough of it, can have a cardiac arrest. And that is the same thing that happens when humans overdose on caffeine. They have cardiac arrest. So scary stuff, nothing to mess around with. So please, if your dog gets into high levels of chocolate, which is the most common food toxicity that we see, please call. 
So here I looked that we're already 20 minutes into this podcast, and I was going to try to keep these at 10 to 20 minutes long. So I'm going to try to wrap this up. A few more things that I really would like you to know is that there are such thing as board certified veterinary nutritionists out there. Now, most of these veterinarian nutritionists are working in industry, meaning they're working for pet food companies, helping to make formulas, but there are some that are in private practice or in nutritional practice. We did have a client with a complicated case where her dog had multiple issues and there was not a commercial diet out there that fit this dog's needs. So she hired a veterinary nutritionist to make a menu of homemade food in the right proportions, essentially a recipe that would be acceptable for her dog to eat. And she has chosen to cook for her dog. Now you can cook for your dog. There are recipes out there, but if you are going to do that, you really need to involve a nutritionist or use a company that offers supplements. Like there are companies out there where they give you the vitamins, the minerals, they give you the recipe. You just add the fresh vegetables and the fresh meat. And if any of you are interested in that, you can just do a Google search. If you can't find what you're looking for, you can contact me through the email and I can set you up with a couple companies that I recommend. If you just want to occasionally cook for your dog because it's their birthday or you want to do something special, I am going to share with you my favorite recipe that we use when we can't get dogs to eat anything else. And this one almost always works. Turkey meatloaf muffins. So we take one pound of turkey, ground turkey, like 95% turkey, 95% meat, 5% fat, one egg, half a cup of quick cooked oats, and if you have celery and carrots, you can actually do half a cup of finely diced or shredded carrots and celery. Mix that all up in a bowl. I actually use my Ninja and just put it on the dough mode and then I don't have to actually touch it. And then I scoop that into a muffin tin and I usually get about 10 muffins out of that. And I cook it for 30 minutes at 350 degrees. That's not an exact cooking time. I do recommend using a meat thermometer. We need to get that up to 180 degrees since there is chicken in it. I don't add salt. I don't add any extra flavorings. Dogs seem to like that just the way it is. If you're going to make this for yourself, you're definitely going to want to add salt and pepper. And I like a little cayenne or a little dry ranch powder in there too to spice that up. And they reheat really good. They keep in the freezer. One little muffin is just a perfect serving for a dog. Go ahead and try that. I should also mention before I wrap this up, there is a pet poison control hotline. I mentioned it a couple times. It's a service that we use pretty frequently. It is manned or staffed by veterinarians and there is a fee for this service. It's roughly $60 and it is money well spent. They have a 1-800 number. They are staffed 24-7. That number is 855-764-7661. And you can call as a pet owner or we can call as a veterinarian. Now, often we get a call first on our emergency line. We go ahead and get permission from you to call the, the pet poison hotline and we call and then they give us doses. They give us recommendations on whether or not to induce vomiting, whether or not to use activated charcoal, 
um, what we need for baseline blood work and whatnot. But sometimes if we're unavailable to answer the phone because we're in the middle of a C-section or working on another pet, or if you can't get a hold of your veterinarian and you need answers fast, go ahead and give them a call. Like I said, be prepared to give your credit card over the phone. It is roughly $60. They're a really great, great resource. Thank you so much for sticking in here for 26 minutes. For those of you that are still listening, I probably should have split that up into two podcasts, like the foods that you can feed your pet and the foods you can't feed your pet and everything in between. But I just didn't know what to expect. This is my first try. It's all very simple information. I didn't even cover everything that I wanted to cover. But that is why we call this exam room rambles, because Tracy likes to ramble on. I hope you got valuable information here. Please feel free to listen to this over and over and over or share it with anyone that you know might get something out of it. Thanks. We'll see you at the next episode.